Hi, everyone, and welcome to Focus Forward, an executive function podcast where we explore the challenges and celebrate the wins you'll experience as you change your life by working on improving your executive function skills. I'm your host, Hannah Choi. I am so excited to bring you today's episode. I had the absolute pleasure of sitting down with Dr. Sherry All, who is a neuroscientist who specializes in memory. She and her colleagues at the Cognitive Wellness Centers in Chicago and the D.C. area support people who have memory challenges or are experiencing cognitive decline. Sherry also wrote a book, which you'll hear me gush about, called The Neuroscience of Memory. And this topic is especially interesting to me because working memory is one of the executive function skills that we use pretty much all the time, every single day. Working memory is the skill we use to hold information in our minds long enough to do something with it. If you run into the grocery store for just a few items and don't bring a list, you'll use your working memory to recall that information. When you meet someone new, your working memory helps you remember their name. And if you're learning a new math formula, your working memory helps you remember the steps. My own memory has a pretty limited capacity, which is probably why math and I don't get along, why I accidentally called my friend's husband Steve when his name is actually Corey, and why I can't go to the store without a list because I'll walk out with lots of stuff I didn't need and maybe only a couple of the things I did. I have experienced a lot of frustration and disappointment in my life because of it, but over the years, I've learned what strategies help me the most, and talking with Sherry really helped me understand that it's okay to use these external resources to help you remember things during the day, and that there are concrete things that we can do to improve our brain health, which in turn supports our memory. So keep listening to learn more about memory and brains and what we can do to help ourselves to live independently longer. Hi, Sherry. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks, Hannah. It's my pleasure. I'm so excited to be on this podcast with you. I have I have a very, very vested interest in memory because mine is terrible, has always <laughs> been terrible. I had the nickname of Forgetful Hannah when I was a child, um, but I think it's um, genetic because my parents don't remember calling me that when I was a child. So. <laughs> I remember though. I remember. <laughs> so I am so excited about this conversation because of that. I'm basically ready to walk away with a better memory. So I hope you're going to fix me. Oh, <laughs> this is a tall order. Um, I'll, I'll do my best. <laughs> okay. I did read your book though. And, um, and I, I'm like a total nerd about it now. I'm telling basically everyone I know, my poor family, I keep texting them like, okay, you have to walk six to nine miles per day and you have to learn new things. And like, just like telling them all the things that they have to do. So thank you for that book. Yeah. <laughs> and um, yeah, for our listeners, I will put all the info about her, about Sherry's book in the show notes. So. But, and it, um, it's six to nine miles a week. So it's- I mean, a week, not a day. <laughs> Oh yeah, let's clarify that, listeners. You do not have to walk six to nine miles a day. You have people jumping up and running to the treadmill. Right? <laughs> I mean, six to nine miles a day is helpful too. That you know. it is, but it's really time consuming too. So, <laughs> all right. So, could you introduce yourself a little bit for us? Yeah, of course. Yeah, I'm I'm Dr. Sherry All. I am a neuropsychologist by background, and I really developed more of an interest in cognitive rehabilitation kind of through my training. 
I don't know if you if your listeners know this, but neuropsychology as a field uh, has a long about a centuries old history of um, telling people what's wrong with their brain and neuropsychologists are really good at doing that and and it's a lovely field and it's helping lots and lots of people. Um, but I thought that neuropsychologists did more work in actually helping people improve their memories when I was going through graduate school. And, and so um, when I learned what a neuropsychologist did, I was like, okay, great. Now, what do we do about it? And supervisors were kind of like, yeah, I wouldn't really do that so much. And so, um, and so I was able to really kind of carve out a, a, some training for myself in, in cognitive rehabilitation. And, and I've made it my professional mission to really take a lot of the uh, cognitive improvement strategies that have been living in sort of the ivory tower into the private practice space. And so exactly 10 years ago, I opened a group practice, uh, which is now called the Centers for Cognitive Wellness. Uh, it used to be Chicago Center for Cognitive Wellness, uh, but we've actually expanded. And we actually celebrated our 10th anniversary last night. And, wow, cool. And, and really with that mission of providing kind of the what's next for people after they've been diagnosed with a cognitive decline. And we've we worked mainly in the adult space for the last 10 years. We're, we're starting to work more now with kids. Um, but it was really important to me to work with adults initially because there are a lot of tutoring and support services for kids, um, not a lot of stuff available for adults. And so so we do uh, psychotherapy and cognitive rehabilitation that's sort of mixed into a psychotherapy setting. We're all mental health providers. And I have a team of, of 12 clinicians, and we just expanded into the D.C. area. Oh, that's and, so exciting. Um, yeah, so we're, we're just kind of helping people help their brains. And, um, and then I was able to fulfill kind of a lifelong goal of uh, publishing my first book, The Neuroscience of Memory, that, that you're uh, talking so fondly about, in, uh, which is a self-help workbook that uh, is really you know designed to help anybody with a brain um, improve their memory skills both now and as you get older and um, but also a secondary audience for clinicians to use and, and we're actually using that as a tool it came out last july july 2021 and um, i hear uh weekly from my clinicians who are like i've got I sold another one of your books. We've got a client using your books. They really like this part and they like that part. And so that's always really nice to hear. So it's it's easy to kind of use with clients as they, because it's got lots of different exercises in there to help help you implement the skills. And, um, and so we're using it as kind of a treatment tool as well. I'm glad you understand the brain so that you can put this good work into it. So. Well, and I think it's important to try to, for all of us to understand our brains and, that's one of my goals in the book is to help people understand how memory works because we, we know that when you understand how your brain works, you're better at operating it. And so, so it is a real treat to be able to kind of take that deep dive learning and then try to put that into like plain language and sort of spread that out because it's, it's important for all of us to have at least some fundamental understanding about how memory works because then you can get better at operating it and and then also just to really save people from a lot of there's so much anxiety right and there, there's a lot of anxiety about memory loss 
at really like the whole lifespan, especially in adulthood. Um, but but kids are kids are hard on themselves about their brains too, and and so you know we're we're way too hard on ourselves about our memories and. Um, and so I think that if people do understand that like forgetting is normal and you do need strategies, then maybe we can start to kind of dial down some of that overall anxiety and, um, because the anxiety makes your memory worse too, right? Right. <laughs> like in the short term and in the long term. Yes. And so like, yeah, let's, let's just be like, let's be a little kind to ourselves and, um, take down the temperature a little bit. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And so like when you're, when your stress hormones, another brain thing, like when your stress hormones kick in, your executive function skills are like the first things to go. So that makes sense that your memory would be compromised if you are stressed. So if you're walking around stressed all the time, yeah, it's going to make it harder. Yeah. You can't remember what you didn't pay attention to in the yeah. and, right. um, and so, I mean, attention is really like the gateway to, to memory. And, and so attention completely gets knocked out, right? If, you, if you're in kind of that limbic hijack, you, literally the blood flow goes away from your prefrontal cortex, the thinking part of your brain where you focus and pay attention to things. And it, and it just goes to like the survivalistic parts of your brain. And, and so you can't, can't focus, you can't pay attention. And then, then you're not gonna remember that, whatever that thing was, right? And so, um, so yeah, so it's, it's important for us to all just kind of like take a breath. Yes. <laughs> yes. Re-engage. Um, yeah. You know. Yeah. Um, so that's what you, something that you just said, um, makes me think I, when I was reading your book, you said your memory is only as good as your attention. And I was like, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I know that. <laughs> But now you're gonna have to make me. Now you're gonna make me pay more attention. <laughs> it was so funny when I first read that. I was like, oh, I know that, but now I see her. Now I see it in writing. <laughs> so lots of people. Um, I mean, lots of people, regardless of their ADHD status, lots of people have you know challenges with attention, depending on the situation, right? Or depending on how stressed you are, <laughs> or what time of day it is or what situation you're in. Um, and so can you talk a little bit more about, about that and why you said that sentence that memory <laughs> is only as good as your attention? It's gratifying to hear uh, a reaction like that. I, I, I treat other authors exactly the same way. Like, oh, the hell you say. You know, like... <laughs> but I'm glad you said it. <laughs> Okay, it's true. Well, yeah, it's a hard, it's a hard truth, right? Like, it was, <laughs> yes, exactly. It was a hard truth that needed to, that I needed to hear and that everyone else needs to hear too. Yeah, yeah, of course. Because I mean, well, let's just think about it. I mean, it's simple mechanics. Your brain stores information, you know, like memory is like the storage of information that gets into your brain, right? The attention is the gateway. You cannot expect yourself to remember things that you didn't notice in the first place in the first place yeah kind of simple um and and so uh one thing i like to kind of talk about is um that like uh i use this analogy 
of, uh, well, my husband, um, this, you know, it's been a while now, it's probably been about 15 years since this happened, but um, remember when like flat screen TVs were coming out, like the plasma TVs and, and the high definition, and he like got a second job, cause you know, they weren't cheap back then, they were like several thousand dollars, right? And so he gets a second job, he saves up a bunch of money, he buys the first plasma TV and he sticks it on the wall and um, he plugs it into our satellite service and, and, and the picture is garbage. It is really, really terrible. And we're like, what, what's the deal? Like, this is supposed to be like an amazing picture. It's high definition. Um, so we call up the satellite company and they're like, oh, you, you, you got a new high definition television. Well, uh, yeah, you need to pay like an extra $5 a month to get the high definition signal. You're not getting the high definition signal. And, and that's really sort of how I think about like attention and memory that like memory is like the high def TV, right? That it's, but it has to have a high def signal coming into it for it to function correctly. And so, so all of the strategies that we know for improving attention are gonna improve memory kind of down the line because you're getting in higher quality data, more data kind of coming in into your brain. Um, so, so I usually will use this example when I'm talking about mindfulness and, and meditation because that's what mindfulness does for you is that it, it allows you to kind of like widen your lens and just you know choose to be more aware of whatever's kind of happening in that moment. And, and so then you get higher definition data kind of coming into your, into your brain. And so, so, so it's just really important to remember that like, if you were kind of like not present or like not there, Ellen Langer as a Harvard psychologist, she has this really great quote that's like, when you're not there, you're not there to know that you're not there. Yeah. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> you know, so if your thoughts are off in la la land, uh, you, you know, you're thinking, you're worrying about the future, you're ruminating about the past, you're not paying attention and you're not, so you're not going to notice like what somebody said to you or what the news program said. And, and so you may have to like, you know, ask for clarification, back it up. Um, but, but yeah, don't like be nice to your memory. Don't expect it to remember. <laughs> things that that you didn't notice in the first place it just yeah that way <laughs> right do you think that the lifestyle that people live and societal impact of maybe you know social media and just how quickly information is passed to us do you think any of that has impacted people's perceptions that they have memory problems when maybe when we lived like a simpler life when there were like less demands on us or less um, information coming in all the time. Do you think that that has increased? I, I mean, I've felt it. I don't know. If yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah I, I can't, I can't speak to the data on this necessarily, yeah. you know, yeah. but I, I think anecdotally, like there's, um, there's some, actually some really, uh, one thing I have looked into, because one thing I noticed kind of early on um, when I started in private practice and that, you know, I, I have this habit of opening like way too many tabs on my, mm. right. And, um, and then, and then having to switch And So, so in neuropsychology, we call it set shifting that if you're having to switch your attention from one mm. to the other, you know, that, um, 
colloquially we call it multitasking and um, and it actually there are some studies to show that that actually takes a really big toll on your performance um, that they've done it with college students where that they do two two tasks then their processing speed goes down by about the same as like being high on pot it <laughs> Um, so there's a big cost to kind of like switching back and forth. Um, and but but even with like computer usage, it's sort of this there was also described this thing called like the threshold effect that when you cross over a threshold, like from one room to the other, that sometimes your, your memory will kind of reset. And, and, and so you'll lose whatever that thing is that you were kind of holding in your working memory, it'll it'll just kind of go away. Um, and, and I'll notice that kind of on my computer screen, you know, I'll be like, I'm going to my email to look for this thing. And then I get to my email and like something will distract me. Right. And then it's like, what, what was that thing? You know, and um, and so, you know, with technology, social media, like we're getting you know, small bits, right, like that, that we're we're switching very quickly um, on a on a really regular basis i i'm sure that that takes a toll on like sustained attention yeah yeah um, i think kind of the overall stress level but the other thing that i wanted to say kind of related to your question is that you know with some of the stuff we're learning about instagram and eating disorders and suicide and you know that a lot of it's perfectionism right mm -hmm. and that um so i see a lot of people who suffer from cognitive perfectionism mm -hmm. Uh, and you yeah. know and, 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 and even just socially you know that when people find out that I'm a memory expert and then they like <laughs> and then they'll find out you know some example of something I forgot they're like oh, 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 oh you know? do you ever lie about your job just so you don't I'm have right. to have no, that I conversation do, yeah, sometimes I do you're like I'm in finance <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> I was at a party recently and I made everybody else tell me what they did before I told them what I did right <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> but, but again, like we were hard on our memories. We kind of expect them to be perfect. But the other thing is that the cost of having a bad memory is is real. And and so I, I don't think that people's fears are unwarranted because, you know, kind of if you back to your question about simpler society, you know, if you were a farmer and you had kind of this you did the same routine day after day, year after year, um, and yeah. you, the, the cost of like kind of losing your cognitive skills um, isn't quite as big as what it is for like a tech industry. Yeah, right. right. Your job right. is to write code and, and then you can't focus anymore. You're, you're, you're making costly mistakes then, you know, our incomes are really dependent on our cognitive skills now. Yeah. yeah. And then one other thing that I think is worth noting about sort of the collective fear about cognition is that uh, rates of dementia are legitimately mm. increasing with the baby boomers turning 65 and, and aging into, we're going to see an increase in the prevalence of dementia, unlike anything that's ever happened in human history. Wow. And, just going to see a lot more examples of it where people are, are struggling because of cognitive decline and i think that and so it's it's happening on an individual level to more and more people where they're seeing family members you know um, loved ones like their old football coach you know 
um, really declining. And so, so people, you know, people understandably are going to be really scared about that too. Right. The more examples that they have of it in their lives, the more fear they will feel themselves. Yeah. And we're seeing it with concussions, right. With all the media attention put on, um, this chronic traumatic encephalopathy that, 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 you know, it's pathology that we've seen in the brains of retired NFL players. Um, but it trickles down into where, where people have kind of a misunderstanding about concussion recovery. And, and if they have one concussion, then they become very fearful. They think it's, it's easy to understand that, that you would, by watching all the media coverage about these concussions and this, uh, neuropathological disorder that can that can come from that that people will automatically assume it's not a huge mental leap to think oh no I bumped my head and now I've lit the fuse on a neurodegenerative disease that's not really the case we don't have those kinds of links between like a regular concussion you know for uh, everyday people like ourselves you know um, compared to what's happening to these professional athletes, right. you know, repeated. Um, yeah. You just need all need to remember that we're not NFL players, right? <laughs> um, right. <laughs> I, I am not an NFL <laughs> player. Neither am I. Yeah. <laughs> so, so you have one I, I can't even watch football. I'm like, <laughs> we, we expect we expect people to get better over time. Like your, your brain is. Okay. Even from That's more good serious to hear. brain injuries, people get better. Um, <laughs> not all the way. Sometimes like with a serious brain injury, but um, but if you you know if you didn't lose consciousness, and you know and, and you didn't have like extended periods of what we call post traumatic amnesia or like extreme mental confusion for like a really long period of time, then you know odds are that you're gonna get better. And um, but, but what you believe about your memory makes a big difference. Yeah. Right. And if yeah. you, yeah. And I think like, if we look, if we look, we, instead of looking for, we don't notice all the times we do remember something, we just pay attention to the times that we don't, I we don't. look for those negative cases. <laughs> <laughs> like, what about all the, like I'm wearing clothes. So obviously <laughs> I remembered something today. <laughs> I remembered at least one thing today. <laughs> <laughs> That's something that I've been working on myself is like changing my identity. So I've always thought of myself, I mean, like I was forgetful Hannah. And so and now I'm trying to change my identity. It's very difficult because I constantly just go to that. Well, I'm just a forgetful person. Um, so it's, it's, um, it's hard work. It's hard work to do. And if any of my family and friends are listening, they're probably like, yeah. <laughs> Your identity has not changed, but I'm I'm trying I'm trying to for myself just change that because maybe if I stop believing that so much about myself, I will actually come out with a better memory than I believe that I have. Right. Yeah. Change the narrative. You know. Yeah. Um, exactly. Stop saying yeah. mean things to yourself. Like stop criticizing yourself. And you know, people do it with all sorts of things. You know, if you say like I'm bad with money you know, then that, you know, that belief leads to behaviors and, you know, but, but you can learn how to be better at money, you know, and yeah. so like, oh, you know, I can't, I can't exercise, you know, but then you, you start to, you know, shift some of that and, and it like behavior and beliefs kind of, you know, they, they play with each other. And, um, 
but but they you know they go hand in hand and so sometimes if you try a new behavior then that can affect your belief um, if you try to change your belief then that can kind of lead you to a new behavior so um, it's, it's worth doing the work because you know we really can rewrite those narratives yeah so much of so much of what, of what I do for myself and also for my clients is is that and so I have a question um, so for myself I'll just speak for myself specifically because I'm myself and I can relate. So should I, I use a lot of strategies to help myself remember things because I know that memory is a challenge for me. So I use a lot of different strategies. I use Google tasks, Google event reminders. I have a planner. I, I use post notes. I put signs on the door. I ask um, my partner, my husband to help me remember things. I have people text me. I mean, I have a lot of different strategies that I use. Um, but sometimes I feel like that's not helping my memory. It's just helping me not, it's just helping me do those things. It's not, I feel like it's not like a practice to improve my actual memory. So for someone who has challenges with memory, should, is that, or should there be additional practice to help improve my memory so that maybe I don't need to use all those tools? I don't think there's any evidence to date that we need to be doing anything different to specifically beef up our memory circuits. Um, you know, I could be proven wrong with science kind of down the line, um, but the, the, the current state of the evidence is that there really doesn't seem to be a difference between um, cognitive activity, what type of cognitive activity, and, 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 uh, and kind of preventing dementia. That like people who are cognitively active, no matter what the cognitive activity is, um, it, it, and it can be attention training, it could be processing speed, it could be problem solving, it could be memory strategies. Um, all of those are, you know, there may, all of those are, are pretty equal in, in terms of, of the data that if you just kind of live a cognitively stimulating life, then your, your risk for dementia is, is mild to moderately reduced. Um, there, there are some people who would say, well, oh, this, this one, you know, like, I think if, if there is one type of uh, training platform that maybe has outperformed some others, it's, it's more kind of in like um, processing speed. Um, and so, so that said, like, I love your systems. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I, yeah. I, and, and, um, and, and that's the stuff that we would train someone who didn't have those systems and was you know complaining about their performance, we would actually work to try to get them to implement those types of systems. But the people who have really exceptional memories are ones that have kind of used these strategies of like organizing information or uh, using visualization strategies or just using externalizing strategies, which you know you use a lot of those. And so, I think the goal for functional independence is whatever keeps you independent and doing a good job, right? And so if you need to externalize those things, great, right? Like, because that's what's going to keep you, you know, independent, performing your job, doing a good job, 
getting promoted and <laughs> making money. podcast. Yeah, yeah. Doing a <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, well, that that is great to hear because, um, I mean, that's what I do as an executive function coach. Is I, yeah. you know, exactly that, right? We teach people strategies to level the playing field in whatever area they feel yeah. challenged in. So, and, and that's um, why we love working with the Beyond Book Smart executive function coaches too, because you know, you guys are so great at like helping our clients implement, you know, a lot of these daily functioning strategies. And, and then there's more to it too, because if you're, if you're succeeding, then you kind of have that upward positivity spiral that's going to reduce stress. And, and that's good for your brain in the long term. Um, and then also, you know, I, I, it makes me sad, Hannah, that you're actually beating yourself up about your strategies. And <laughs> I'm not going to anymore. Yeah, because that's kind of a layer of stress, right? Like that you. Yeah, right. Your strategies, you burst out some cortisol. That's not good for your brain cells. Yeah, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like celebrate your strategies. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to. And I that it 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 feels really good to hear that because I I don't know why, but I saw it as like a a, a flaw that I had to use them even though I even said to you before like why do people look down on using strategies? And 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 here I I was doing that without even realizing it. Um, and, and I just know that when I use those strategies, it improves everything for me. It improves, you know, my, just my day-to-day -day existence and my, my relationships with everyone and, um, and my relationship with myself too. Yeah. So, um, so I'm going to use them proudly now. Yeah. You're like a systems queen. <laughs> Kind of well, you know, I mean, I do teach people. I, I hope, I hope that I have also done that metacognition piece and figured out what works for me too. Yeah. So, but what you and that actually reminds me of what you were saying before: how important that metacognition piece is, and how important it is to figure out like how our brains work and how what works for us and what doesn't work for us, and why we do those things and why we don't do those other things, and. It's just so important. And I feel like it, it feels like to me that that piece is not valued by um, everyone because it is, you're not, I don't know if I'm right, but it is not immediately valued because you are not actually producing anything when you are sitting and thinking about yourself. You know, you're not, right? You're not like creating anything. You're not making anything but you are learning so much. And so I just hope that people recognize the value of sitting and thinking about yourself. Yeah. So much in there. And then, you know, putting those systems in place because I mean, it, it's basically like a lot of what you're describing is like basic project management, you know, and, and like, I, I took a class where, uh, you know, I had to, kind of learn some project management. And I, I learned that I'm like terrible naturally. Like my natural instinct is to just like jump right into the task, you know? And then, and like, as a group, we're like, no, 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 no. We're gonna, we're gonna widen out. We're gonna, you know, lay out our, all the steps and like the timeline and 
And I'm like, oh, okay, but like, I just want to keep going, right? And, um, right. but like what you're saying, like we put too much value on sort of the output, but, but if you, if you take a step back, like when you do your, your, your task list, you, you're probably going to get so much more done that day than if you hadn't, if you had just jumped right into the thing, because you forget all those other things, like, yeah. mind. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Or I didn't think about like, well, let's see, I'm feeling I have a lot of energy right now. So I should do the thing that's going to be the most energy sucking and then save the other things for later. Or like, I'm yeah. feeling very unmotivated right now. So I should just do the like little things that don't take much that might make me feel better. So, yeah. yeah. So, yeah. So like the, the same, what you were just saying, like thinking that the thinking about yourself is the same as stopping to plan a little bit um, before you jump in. So, totally. yeah, so much value yeah. in that. So talking about strategies, um, what are your go-to strategies for people to, um, to remember stuff? <laughs> and I guess this can apply to anybody. I mean, a lot of us coaches work with students, um, but a lot of our clients are adults too. And, yeah. and I imagine that the strategies aren't really any different from no. between younger and older people. Yeah, they're pretty universal, right? Um, okay, so, well, because probably because I have a background in clinical neuropsychology, it's, it's important for me to first kind of diagnose the problem, right? Um, so, our strategies need to be really customized to whatever situation a person's having, right? And and so, so there are kind of some universal um, strategies that that we can teach people, um, but it's it's never a one size fits all, and 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 so it, it's important to kind of match the strategy with the person, because also it's just not feasible it's like physically impossible to do all the strategies all the time so so what i try to you know kind of empower my clinicians to do is to have sort of a toolbox and and i think that's kind of what beyond book smart does a good job of too is it's like you know that the executive function coaches like you, you guys do have like a nice system and um and program but but your executive function coaches have enough of kind of a toolbox to be able to kind of pick and choose to sort of match for like whatever whatever the situation is. Um, so anyway, I think go-to strategies are number one, particularly when we have folks with attention problems, working memory problems, is that we, we try to get them to slow down a little bit if, if they can, right? Um, or be strategic about fast and slow. And, and so, so, so we'll, we'll, one of our first steps is to actually try to get them to engage in some sort of mindfulness practice. And what's nice about the world of mindfulness is that there are, you know, 50 bajillion different practices that, that we can, you know, choose from because it, that's also not a one size fits all. There are people who really resonate with breath work and then there are people who love, you know, guided imagery and then there are people, you know, um, you know, I think open monitoring, you know, it's sort of like sit for one minute and just, you know, notice what's happening and be in the present moment. Um, that can be great for some people. I think it can be really torture for people who have um, attention problems and have sort of a really active default mode network where their minds are just kind of going all the time. Um, 
it's so, but, but, you know, kind of having a little bit of that cultural debate of like, okay, slow down, be present, be engaged, maybe start to notice what's happening in your body, um, kind of be, be present. Number two would be using a lot of those externalizing interventions. So, um, so making lists, setting alarms. I love can't miss reminders. Uh, this is, we use a program called Cogsmart that's uh, out of the VA system. It was originally developed for people with uh, brain injuries and severe mental illness. And then they have a new program for people with uh, mild cognitive impairment, which you know, like maybe some of the earlier stages of dementia. And, and, and so they'll, you know, put up, you know, it put up like a little post-it on your coffee maker that says walk the dog, you know, because you might, you might forget to walk the dog. I'm never going to forget to make coffee in the morning. Right? <laughs> so, <laughs> um, so just kind of putting some of those reminders in sort of an obvious place. Um, another strategy they use is uh, self-talk. And so that can kind of help you stay on target as you're kind of going from one thing to the other and that you kind of say, you know, I'm going to go to the kitchen, I'm going to get some yogurt, you know, and the ah. time I'm going there, I'm going to say, and you can say it out loud, or you can say it to yourself in your head, yogurt, yeah. yogurt, yogurt, yeah. yogurt. Um, so, so, so those are some of my favorites. Um, I think, you know, and, and so those are all kind of on the like attention part of, of the pathway to memory. Um, but we also have other strategies for helping you memorize things, right? Like, and, and that's important for when the moment requires it, like uh, where you parked in a parking garage, for instance, right? Like, so stopping and taking like a little mental snapshot and then kind of rehearsing it or sort of visualizing it. Um, I loved that section of the book. It was so fun to do the um, to do the list and then to try to remember the list and then uh, use the different strategies. It was very cool. Yeah, right. It was very convincing. Yeah, and so yeah. so we you know you can take some steps to get things to stick in your brain better when that's needed, but it's not needed for everything, right? And and so especially now like. And this is something that that we've been kind of debating and kind of, I guess kind of wringing our hands around since ever since humans became literate, and we just don't memorize things the same way that we used to because we don't really have to. Yeah, right. And and so the newest iteration of that is the internet, and and so you can even tell a difference between like boomers and Gen Xers compared to like millennials um, of like how long I'm, I'm a Gen Xer and I will spend a good ten minutes trying to remember a fact about something and my millennial friends like have already looked it up on their phones right like <laughs> <laughs> right <laughs> yeah because <laughs> i just grew up with like you know 10 year old yeah. encyclopedias yeah encyclopedia <laughs> britannica <laughs> yeah like oh i hope it's an index <laughs> That's really funny. Yeah. But, but yeah, as a species, yeah. I mean, so that's the newest version of it, right? But as a species, we've been doing that externalizing ever since we had the ability to write things down and then go back and read them. The way things are now, you don't have to memorize everything. I think you're probably going to be okay. I don't think it's causing Alzheimer's disease. The only, what's causing Alzheimer's disease is that people are living way longer than they used to. Ah. And, you know, uh, but 
so anyway, but when, but when the moment's right, like when you need to memorize something, like if you're an actor and you're, you have to memorize things mm. or you're giving mm-hmm. a speech or, um, you need to, you know, you're, you're at a job and you need to memorize like a certain, you know, list of steps to kind of make that automatic, mm-hmm. um, then, then those, those strategies can be helpful, you know, but, yeah. but I, but I think that sometimes people assume that they have to kind of do that for everything. And then they mm. worried because we're not doing it. like we used to. Yeah. Right. That's going to make me have Alzheimer's. I, I, I don't think that's really the case. Okay. Good to know. <laughs> I hope not. I'm, I could be wrong. I just yeah. don't have to always be open to being wrong. Right. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> well, I hope you're not. Yeah. I think we're okay. So one additional thing that um, that I got a very clear message in your book is that the pretty much the most important thing that we can do for our memories is exercise. Um, and so can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, so I do. Oh, I had been saying it's like the A number one best thing you can do for your brain. Uh, <laughs> And it probably is, um, although I, I am starting to tweak that a little bit. That that everything is is memory strategies are customizable. So everybody has like a different. I think everybody actually does have like a different probably priority number one. Um, you know, like if you're a smoker, um, I'm gonna want you to quit smoking before I make you get on a treadmill. I, <laughs> so. Good idea. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so like our individual, you know, it's sleep, sleep is uh, really important too. And we're learning a lot more about that. Um, the reason that for a long time, we've been saying that exercise is the, is the best strategy is um, because it's, it's had the best science up to this point. Ah. And by best science, it means that we can do experiments. And, and so we have some really good causal um, data to show that when people are physically active, they have bigger brains, the memory circuits in their brain are bigger, they grow new brain cells, and, um, and it, it actually increases the rate of, of brain cell growth. And we haven't seen that with any other type of lifestyle strategy, except for stress goes in the other direction. We know that. So the stress hormone cortisol keeps you from growing new brain cells. And, and so so, you know, managing stress may be, you know, the opposite of, of or, you know, kind of the same as exercise. And, and yeah, that. right. Um, but, but the quality of the data is, is really, really strong. And so, um, so, so that's why we, we really kind of hang our hats on that one, because uh, it, because it, it lends itself to doing experiments and, you know, whereas things like socialization. Yeah, um, it's harder to measure harder to measure and harder to manipulate, you know, make people get friends, right? Like (laughs) (laughs) just be more social (laughs) (laughs) and like it and like it. (laughs) Enjoy it. Don't get stressed. (laughs) (laughs) Meet five friends, have five 10 minute conversations, (laughs) measure your heart rate or whatever. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it really shows you, I mean, that's a great example for how research is really beneficial or 
can be really beneficial and why it is so important to research things. Yeah. And, and, and also to kind of get some help. And so one of the things in the book is, is for people, one of the early exercises is for you to kind of gauge, like, what is your overall uh, risk, right? Like where um, I, I use this brain 401k uh, investment analogy in the book that, you know, our, our risk for dementia is really predicted more by how much brain cells and skills you have sort of stored in this cognitive reserve and, and everybody kind of varies in, in, in those, um, in how much reserve they have. And we can measure that by seeing how, you know, like people with higher reserve have people with bigger brains have a bigger resistance to dementia and, um, and that you can build your reserve throughout your life, like through these different lifestyle areas. Um, but one of the early exercises in the book is for you to kind of do a self-assessment. You kind of rate your portfolio, your, your brain 401k portfolio, you know, so am I, I may be doing really well in mental stimulation because I have a mentally stimulating job, but I'm not exercising a whole lot and I have a lot of stress. And so those are kind of the two areas where I need to maybe beef up my own individual efforts, right? Compared to somebody else who, you know, maybe exercises a whole lot, but, you know, has just retired and is not, you know, socializing as much as they used to, maybe not learning new things. And so then their own strategy is going to be different than, than mine. And, and so really kind of personal, it's, it's all custom, right? It's, it's, we're humans, yeah. strengths and weaknesses, and, and we've got to figure right. out to kind of focus our efforts. Yeah, and that's I guess that's again where that metacognition piece comes into, and and really spending the time to to look at your life and and to look at how your memory impacts you and how, and what areas you maybe need to you know like yeah spend more time with or or back off on or um, whatever it is. So um, in your book, you cover um, a, a variety of different areas like exercise and socialization and learning new things, which are three that you've already mentioned. In addition to those, what are some others um, that people should consider when they're thinking about their brain health? So some new data that's come out about sleep is, especially for the, the risk of Alzheimer's disease, is that when, when we're asleep, when you're in deep sleep, the the glial cells, they're these like support cells that, that surround the neurons in your brain. They actually shrink by about 20% and it allows the spinal fluid to come in and flush out toxins. It's probably cool. like the lymphatic system of the brain and they yeah. play. And so it's, they call it the glymphatic system, the glial cells. And, um, and one of the things that gets flushed out is the amyloid plaque that causes Alzheimer's disease. Oh, we all make amyloid plaque and, um, but, but it's normally, it's going to be flushed out through the spinal fluid. Oh, fascinating. And it's only becomes problematic when it sticks in your brain and starts to kind of choke off your, your neurons. Um, and so there, uh, Matthew Walker is a neuroscientist who's written, he wrote a book called why we sleep. And then he's, he's, uh, runs a research lab where they uh, are putting out papers. And, and so they've actually found a correlation between people who sleep less in their fifties, sixties, and seventies have more amyloid plaque in their brain. Oh, huh. We don't, it's, it's a correlation. So we don't know which causes, which, um, it could be that amyloid causes you to stop sleeping mm -hmm. much or that not sleeping enough, you know, causes the amyloid to build up. Um, right. But 
that's actually like most of our uh, dementia prevention strategies are focused on trying to help you kind of just maintain as many neurons as you can. But this is actually a little bit more directly impacting the pathology of Alzheimer's that, you know, if you get really good deep sleep, then, you know, you may actually be preventing the pathology of Alzheimer's, like flushing that amyloid out. Wow. That's so interesting. Also, REM sleep is important for um, helping the, the amygdala is this little structure in your brain that's kind of your fear detector. It's the thing that sort of sets off the fight or flight response, and it's kind of always looking out for things that it thinks might kill you. <laughs> and then and then when it thinks that something might kill you, then it triggers you know you to release all that cortisol and have those kind of exaggerated responses, and you have the limbic hijacking, and you can't concentrate and you're, you know, you know, producing toxic chemicals to your brain cells and you're keeping your brain from growing new brain cells. Um, so the amygdala, if you lose one night of sleep, your amygdala is 60% more active. Wow. That's not good. <laughs> no, right? It's like a recipe for yelling at your kid. Yeah. Uh, and so- No wonder. Right. And yeah. REM sleep is important for that kind of calming of the amygdala. Mm. Most of your REM sleep later in the night. And, and, if it, and if you have middle insomnia, if you're up for more than half an hour, the entire sleep architecture of your night sort of starts over where you don't actually won't get enough REM cycles. So <sighs> you do more deep sleep early in the night. And so it's important to just try to maybe you know, like sleep through the night. So, so when we have people who talk about sleep problems, we we as a practice send them to a sleep center mm, go get good. a sleep study we need to know what's going on do you have sleep apnea do you have um uh, there's a cognitive behavior therapy for insomnia cbti <laughs> that's very behaviorally based and and so it's just about following kind of some simple rules to you know make sure that you're going to bed when you're tired enough that you're um you know, kind of helping your body sort of re-engage those natural circadian rhythms, maybe not, you know, having like a caffeine curfew, not knowing what time it is at night is like a really big piece of that too, because uh -huh. the gymnastics that you go through when you wake up yeah. at four o'clock, I've got like two more hours. Yes. You do the math, the insomnia math. <laughs> yeah. Insomnia math. <laughs> <laughs> My sister um, went through the CBT for insomnia and it just really, it really, really helped her. Yeah. Ton. It helped me. I did it. You know, oh, yeah. I, yeah. yeah. Um, yeah. I got really bad insomnia during the pandemic and found out I have I had sleep apnea. So I went on. Ah, yeah. And, and, the, and if you've ever tried CPAP, you like, you tried it a few years ago and you're like, oh, it's terrible. I can't stand it. Like the, the machines are getting better and better. Oh, that's good to know. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so have tolerable. you noticed an, have you noticed an impact on your on your awaking your awake awake life I feel during the day yeah 100 ah, percent that's great I would walk around like face tired you know, oh. hard time focusing and, and and have like you know and have kind of a hair trigger and yeah yeah wait and um and I've been able to lose it since then and um but I think one of the biggest pieces, because I told the, C, the CBT therapist, I was like, you're not taking my phone away. Because <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's not just, I thought it was like, I know, I'm a psychologist. A, that makes me a really terrible patient, right? Like, <laughs> right. 
like, I know what I'm to sure. do. I'm just I know what to do. And yeah. I, right. You can't make me. And yeah. <laughs> I'm only here because someone told me to. <laughs> yeah. And and so, you know, and so we tell people about like, like, we'll give them information about sleep hygiene, you know, and those are things like, you know, limit screens at night, have a wine, yeah. you know, that kind of stuff. And yeah. I go, I go, I'm not, I'm not giving up my phone. And she's like, okay, that's okay. You know? And so what we've devised is that, cause I have a really active default mode network that I think um, people with ADHD we're seeing uh, have that. And uh, which means that when I wake up in the middle of the night, I just start thinking about all sorts of things. Right. And yeah, so yeah. I turn on a podcast, like maybe Perfect. right now in the yeah. middle listening to us on this podcast yes. <laughs> we're happy to keep you company <laughs> that's right i'll turn on a podcast it has to be like a certain level of interesting because i'm gonna fall back asleep so maybe maybe it's fine yeah maybe it's this is just too engaging they're not good yeah, this is not good for the middle of the night it depends and then uh but i i have a little post-it it's a stack of post-it notes that i take to my phone to cover up the clock it's like uh -huh back on but I don't know what time it is yeah that's so smart I love that she told that she let you keep it right and that goes yeah. back to make the strategy work for yourself yeah and 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 it's okay if if whatever tweak you have done to the strategy is different than what they say you should do if yeah. it works for you then then that's good and that's it's okay collaborative right yeah, yeah you know none yeah. of these interventions can be too top down because people are going to be resistant and then yeah. they're going to do it. Yeah. Right. We all right, have issues right. with authority. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I'll just suffer instead of doing what you suggested. <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much. This has just been such a great conversation. Is there anything else you want to add that we missed? Well, get the book. And yes, for sure. <laughs> you guys have to read this book, Neuroscience of Memory by Sherry All, Dr. Sherry All. It's so good. It's so good. And I love, I just love how um, you wrote it. There was one thing you said, like you, it was a list of things that can be impacted and you, and you say so you had the list and then you said, and stuff like that. I was like, yes, <laughs> like you, you just wrote and stuff like that in a book. It was just so great because I feel like there's so much pressure out there to just have everything be all like so professional sounding. And that's what I want to read because that's what I can relate to. And it was just, yeah. it was so accessible, such a great Aww. book. So thank you. Thank you. Yeah. yeah and, I like to think of it as kind of like your girlfriend's guide to your brain. Yes. That's what it felt like. It was really, it's really, really nice. So oh, nice. I highly recommend everybody if find that. the all audio book, I got to narrate it. So you can. You did? Oh, cool. Me. And <laughs> That's great. And you have you a good listen voice. To it while you sleep, then maybe you sleep with me. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. And where else can um, our listeners find you? So you can find me at sherryall.com. Uh, that's my page that I keep for speaking and writing. And then if you want to access our clinics, we're at cogwellness.com. We have a location in Chicago and then in uh, Chevy Chase, Maryland. And hopefully some other states as we continue to grow because, uh, you know, we're really passionate about helping people improve their cognition. And um, there, there are other practices that do what we do and, um, you know, but, but I think that 
particularly for some of the early stage dementia work, uh, we're, we're one of the few people that are kind of helping people implement a lot of those um, recommendations from neuropsychologists. And so, you know, we'd just like to be able to help a lot more people. But so, so clinically, we're, we're there for now, and, but hopefully, hopefully near you soon. Yeah, great. Well, thank you again. And I, I love I love how there are so many practical things that people can do to improve their memory and decrease or maybe not decrease, but improve the chances of living independently longer. And and I and I love that. So yeah. thank you for all the work that you do. And and I'm sure that um that everyone out there that has met with you is just so with you and your and your practitioners have been so grateful for the support. Yeah. Maybe and make it a little less scary, right? Make it a little less scary. Yeah. And, and mm -hmm. hire a Beyond Book Smart executive coach. <laughs> yeah. You know, yeah. Put these things in practice. It's yeah. And like what we were saying earlier, you know, these figuring out exactly what strategies are going to work for you. It is nice to have the support of someone else that has like a sort of like a, a like an outside an outsider viewpoint and can um help help you get out of your own head <laughs> so. exactly and then don't judge yourself for all your systems that's right no yeah. judgment there's <laughs> a judgment-free zone celebrate celebrate yay yes yes, yes. <laughs> i am so excited to go forth and use my strategies proudly and yay. i'm and i'm just going to keep continuing to spread the word that it's okay to use strategies you do not have to remember everything on your own nope. You can't. You cannot remember you can't. everything. You can't. That's right. There's those five people. <laughs> there are like four or five. Yeah. Four. Probably four. And they're probably they're probably lying anyways. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> they actually just like quickly use some like they have a device in their ear. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much. Likewise. It's been a pleasure, Hannah. Thank you, Susan. Thank you. And that's our show for today. Be sure to check out the show notes for links to all of Sherry's resources, plus some more that I found to share with you. If you're like me and are challenged by your working memory, I really hope this episode has motivated you to find and use even more strategies that help you remember more stuff, which in turn will help you feel more confident. I know it's made a huge difference for me. Thank you for taking time out of your day to listen. If you like what you're hearing, please share Focus Forward with your colleagues and your family and your friends. You can subscribe to Focus Forward on Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, give us a boost by giving us that five-star rating. Sign up for our newsletter at www.beyondbooksmart.com slash podcast. We'll let you know when new episodes drop and we'll share information related to the topic. Thanks for listening.